Welcome back, AJ Swoboda, Nijay Gupta. We're here, and we are more than excited to begin a new series of conversations. We actually have made a strategic decision. We are done calling these seasons. <laughs> they are just episodes. That's right. Um, largely because we've lost track and don't know the numbers. Um, but with that said, welcome back to In Faith and Doubt. And we've been really grateful for um, the overwhelming response we received from the podcast and those that are listening and find it helpful. Uh, both of us have utilized some of these in our classes, um, but more than that, just getting great feedback from from you. And we do hope these are helpful conversations. The point of this podcast, of course, is to help those who are uh, wrestling with faith in, in their faith with doubt, deconstruction, and this, the sorts of things that uh, we often experience now in, in the 21st century world as followers of Jesus. And so I'm going to kick off this conversation. We're going to talk today um, primarily about uh, actually a class I teach. Um, I, I have the privilege of having kind of a full teaching load, which means I get a diversity of topics that I get the privilege of getting to talk about. And I, I love that, you know, teaching forces me to have to engage in topics that I wouldn't normally engage in. And that's part of a, the joy of being a teacher and academic is you're forced to have to think about things that maybe you wouldn't normally. Totally. And over the last few years, uh, I've been teaching a master's graduate level course at Friends University. My friend Keys Kiesler runs a terrific program. Uh, in their program around spiritual formation and uh, spiritual direction. And I teach a course on um, the history of Christian spirituality. Right. The, really, the, the, the trajectory of the whole course is that we give the students an opportunity to look at the radical diversity of the, the, the church. Uh, we utilize a really helpful book by Richard Foster, Streams of Living Water, which right. is one of his classic, uh, classic texts that kind of looks at every single uh, Christian tradition through the lens of these streams, and he references six particular streams in in the um, in in the book, and he outlines kind of their distinctives and uh, the charismatic stream, the evangelical stream, the social justice stream, we got a compassionate stream, all these streams. And this last summer, I had an epiphany. Mm-hmm. There is no course that I teach that evokes more emotions. And my students, right? Than a class engaging the streams. And curious about this, this last year when I was teaching the course, I had a conversation with my class to ask them what what about this conversation brings up so many emotions. And what I discovered was that for many, and not only emotions, but for many of them to begin to question or deconstruct their own stream that they're in, is this reality that when you see how broad the body of Christ is. And you see all these gifts from all these other traditions, right? You see the gifts of the charismatic tradition, or the evangelical tradition, or the Justin stream, and you see these gifts. While you celebrate the gifts of all these streams, it inherently causes you to begin to question and critique your own stream. Of course. And underneath this uh, experience of seeing the awesomeness of all the other streams, and it's easy to just with rose-colored glasses to see all the traditions and what's awesome about them. But what it ends up doing is it it causes you to wonder, am I in the right stream? Am I right. in the right place? Yeah. And what what I have, I had this experience in seminary. I'm going to bet you did too. You know, you come out of your own tradition, you come to seminary and you just see there's all these traditions that do these things so much better than I do. And I've coined a term, Nijay, that I, w- I want to wrestle with today. And I've come to call it, and I think it's a very important, I think this, I actually think for many of our listeners, this causes a lot of deconstruction. Right. And I call it, here's what I call it. I call it theological envy. Yeah. It is seeing 
the gifts of all these traditions in the church and started starting to wonder, is the grass really greener on the other side? You know, as a Pentecostal charismatic, I love my stream. I love our emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Right. But I get really jealous. I'll, I'll tell you this, Nita. I'm, I'm, I feel almost like I'm naughty for telling you. <laughs> I actually get really jealous of all people. I get really jealous of my Reformed brothers and sisters. Sure. And the reason I get jealous is not necessarily because I'm Reformed theologically or want that theology, but there's a sort of certainty and, uh, and um, a, a certain certainty that comes with that theological tradition that I wish I had. Yeah. You know? So the, so how do we <clears throat> learn to not allow this experience of seeing the broadness of the body of Christ? How can we learn to utilize that experience in the right way without it tearing us down? Yeah. That's what I want to talk about. What do you, what do you, when you see a Christian from another tradition whose tradition is doing something that you just long for, yeah. what does that do in you? Honestly, it makes me want to convert. <laughs> I'm one <laughs> right, of these yeah. people where like, I just want to jump on the next, and maybe it's like grass is greener, but I think it's just part of my personality that um, I just like seeing the good in all these different groups. I think for me, I mean, you're talking about the Reformed. Uh, I find that I have a lot of, you know, I'm Wesleyan holiness. Um, I have a lot of appreciation and affinity with Catholics. Mm, no. And, you know, th- you know, maybe on specific doctrines, I disagree with them, but I just notice, you know, the piety yeah. and the beauty of their tradition and the catechism um, is just glorious, inspiring, um, that sense of global unity. You know, yeah. there's some really... Neat things there, and you know you. And, and when you're a Wesleyan holiness guy, the contemplative is not your mother tongue, so it's not. It's, no. it's you see it in someone else, you can go, I want that. And in many ways, you know, the Wesleyan started as innovation. You know, just like the Reformation, it's you know right. God's doing a new thing, and that the Catholics are the other way around, where you know it's it's this reverence, veneration for for the ancient uh, tradition. Um, and so, you know, my, my instinct is I want to jump ship, you know, I wanna, yeah. and I think that may reflect my own journey of spending time with the Nazarenes, spending time with the Presbyterians, with the Wesleyans, you know, and so forth, you know, bouncing from group to group. You've had more of a consistent experience. How long have you been with Foursquare? Um, I've been an ordained Foursquare pastor for, I want to venture, I guess, at about a decade or just over okay. a decade. Uh-huh. So you've had some longevity there. Yeah. I mean, my family, we've moved around a lot. We've bounced around a lot. We've gone from denomination to denomination. And so we've kind of sampled. We're the, yeah. We go to the Costco yes. <laughs> marketplace yes. and yes. we try all the samples. Um, so I don't know if I experience it exactly as envy. Um, because I just sort of, you know, create a little, a little, you know, charcuterie tray, of <laughs> a little salami from the Catholics and yes. a little, yes. um, dill pickles from the reformed world. Yeah, that's yes. right. yeah. But, um, but I totally resonate with that question of like self doubt or almost self loathing for your own tradition. Hmm. So I became a Christian in the Grace Brethren Church, which is a small uh, Anabaptist denomination, very conservative. Um, and it's not even a denomination. They're a fellowship of churches, they call themselves. And uh, I had a great experience uh, in that group um, in my church. 
uh, grew a lot in my faith, became a Christian, baptized uh, in that church, um, it would be easy for me in seminary to poo-poo and look down on mm. my younger experiences because it was not as intellectual. Yeah. Um, they don't support women in ministry, uh, women pastors. Um, there's all kinds of things where I could say now, you know, I could kind of scoff yeah. at that. And um, I'm glad I've grown and learned, but I'm really concerned sometimes when we're when we judge too harshly. Yeah. Some of the formative experiences we had in our yeah. uh, new believer phase, you know, kind of early early Christian faith. Yeah. Uh, take for example, um, you know, you and I both love C.S. Lewis. Yes, I just finished uh, reading uh, for some research the Four Loves. Mm-hmm. Yep, and um, I talk to people sometimes who don't like C.S. Lewis. He's too simple. He's too uh, basic. He's too uh, popular. Mm. Whatever it is, and they want to look down on that. You know. Um, I think there's some unhealthy things that go go into criticizing resources that are at the more popular level. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can be a real danger. I think that goes into that into theological envy. I think as well because we can become a little snobby. Yeah. Uh, in yep. the midst of that. Yeah. In, in the um, so so the response then for me, I, I'm so I'm provoking this 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 question of of theological envy. What's the response? So. You know, when my son has a play date at another friend's house yeah. um, and that family does something really well, he comes home and will say something along the lines of, dad, why don't we, da, 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 da. you know, <laughs> right. and, and that for me as a dad sort of makes me like super depressed that why haven't I figured this one out? You know, why aren't you doing this thing? And, but there's in a way that there's a, there's a sense at which exposure unveils what we don't have. Yeah. and. Rather than jumping ship and being, well, our family sucks and we should abandon it, <laughs> what if we actually chose to allow that exposure to open our eyes to ways that that we can incorporate those things into our own family? Right. In the Old Testament, um, there are all these times when Israel gets really jealous of the nations around them because, yeah. because for Israel they didn't have a God that you could see. It was a, it was not a God that you can make an idol out of, mm-hmm. but the other religions all had these idols, these things you could see. There's a form of idol. There's, there's a form of theological envy that's really unhealthy. And that is that, you know, when we look at the, the, when we look at the ungodly and they've got all the money they want to not be, je- and the Psalms talk about that a lot, not being jealous of the wicked who are doing quite well. Right. But, but I do wonder if there's an element of transitioning from theological envy to theological contentment, mm-hmm. you know, and and that's a hard thing. I think it's a hard thing to embrace because I mean, even listen to our worship music. How, how many times? It's weird how many times in our worship songs we say, "I want more of you, God." <laughs> yeah. That's a really hard thing for God to honor. How I don't know how you can give more than the cross. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how much of the more more of the spirit God can give. Like to say, "I want more of you," is kind of a weird i don't know that's a weird statement what if what if we can't have more god has given as much as he can he's given all of himself to be content with what god has already given rather than asking for more to live in a kind of theological contentment that i yeah i I wrote this down tell me what you think about this that being a healthy christian 
entails embracing the podunkness of our current <laughs> church. What, what would it look like to actually learn to be content with what God has put us in? What would that look like? Yeah, I, I, li- I like that. Um, I like the idea of contentment because theological envy comes from a place of dissatisfaction. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It helps us see some of the limitations of our own tradition and context. I like the idea of trying to incorporate, you know, the best of of what the wider people of God have to offer. But but the idea of contentment, I think, is um, appreciating uh, what you have and all of its foibles. Mm-hmm. You know, just realizing that's that's kind of the way family is. You know, I, I was just mentioning that I was you know reading C.S. Lewis, uh, his Four Loves, and he talks about um, different types of love, and some types of loves like friendship is m- chosen. Hmm. Like you choose who your close friends are. Like mm-hmm. you and I are friends, AJ. And so I have to, you know, one of us has to drive a couple of hours <laughs> so we can be together and have yeah. Thai food. But then Lewis talks about affection. And that's basically the people that you're just around by nature, like mm-hmm. maybe your coworkers, your family. And you just start to develop routines and habits. Like, so you just notice Fred's annoying, but Fred's gone today and we miss Fred. Yeah. You right. know, like, yes. that's just, so it's kind of, and I kind of think about that with our church tribe. Um, you know, they're, you know, they're not perfect and, you know, maybe the people in our own church, um, but you become close and you have these predictable routines of seeing them. Yep. And then when they're not there or when someone's sick, you start to think, uh, I miss them. Um, I, when you say contentment and, you know, when you talk about podunkness, I kind of think about that as appreciating what, who's God, who God's put in your life. Yeah. I heard, um, years ago, somebody said, say to me, um, uh, that you, it's good to serve where you're saved, to serve where you're saved. And, Absolutely. The, and the, the idea is that God, God has actually, for all of us, redeemed us and met us in a particular place. Like, mm-hmm. And for many of us, that's in a denomination or a particular stream. God met us there. Um, and many of us, you know, are not in the same stream that we were when we first became followers of Jesus. And there's no, there's no problem with that. But if we abandon where we are to find that other perfect stream, it won't take long before we find the imperfections in that stream. There is no stream that isn't dirty on some level. They are all fundamentally polluted on on some fundamental, you know, fundamental level. Um, yet at the same time, I wonder if there could be a good side to that exposure to all these streams. That that in a way it opens you up to seeing how big God is. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I uh, in North Korea uh, when people. Um, uh, abandon, leave North Korea and cross, you know, the DMZ to go into South Korea. They've found this high level of people who have made that jump from North Korea to South Korea because somebody from South Korea smuggled in a movie into North Korea and they watched the movie and they saw right. what the world outside their world looks like and they go, I want to get out of there. So one of the North Korean moves is to get make sure there's no movies so people don't see this other world. But I think there's an element of good envy where you know, when I'm in, in in a seminary classroom or in an environment where I'm surrounded by people that love Jesus differently than I do, that it opens my eyes up to 
maybe things that God does want me to enter into, yet remain faithful to where, um, to where I am. I don't. Know, I, th- I think there's a good side to envy. They're not. I'm not saying good envy. I don't know if there's a good jealousy. It is interesting, by the way. It in the Ten Commandments, God says, um, simultaneously, don't be envious, don't be jealous, and He says, I am a jealous God. Mm. <laughs> um, in the That's ten, true. And and when when I think about you know how do we make sense of that? Jealousy is not a sin. I mean, it's part of God's nature. Um, it can become a sin. There's good jealousy. There's and good bad jealousy. jealousy. Exactly. There's yeah. godly jealousy. There's holy jealousy. But the difference between God's jealousy and our jealousy is our jealousy is evil because we're jealous for things that are not ours. But God only gets jealous for things that are His. Yeah. So there is a good kind of jealousy mm-hmm. that awakens us to the things that we should love. Um, but but that jealousy can also lead us to profound levels of theological doubt and faith deconstruction that are very angsty and almost hopeless. You know, I've been processing, you know, the effects of social media on our ability to process our faith in community. And I don't want to decry all the evils of social media. I use social media, you use social media. But um, I feel like there's this trend sometimes where, um, I can only learn from people in my in my intellectual circles. Mm. And I can only affirm and value people in my circles. Mm. And how dangerous it would be if I started to listen to or became friends with or followed someone in a in a different circle. Yeah. And I just think that's so dangerous. One of the most beautiful things about seminary, you you know I've both been to seminary. We both teach uh seminary students in some capacity. Uh, is the ability to bring different people together to form friendships. Yeah. And uh, their learning comes out of seeing each other and saying, there's something I really value in this person, even though we're not always on the same page. Yeah. And that's actually one of my favorite things about teaching. Yeah. Is not just, hey, I get to tell you a bunch of stuff, uh, but to see these communities form with a corpus mixtum, you know, a motley mm. crew of different mm. people. And they start to say, you know, I used to not like people like you. And right. now I'm getting to know one of those people and we're starting to become friends. And a lot, I think a lot of good can come out of that. Do you find, I do, sometimes you resent the old you or you look really down on the person you used to be. And then by extension of that. So, f- for example, I go back to the reform thing. And I said this in one of our earlier episodes. I was a Calvinist for about six months. And I actually really, I really have a deep reverence for the for the Reformed tradition. I really do. Yeah. Um, I love Calvin. It's Calvinists that often get like I love Star Trek, but Trekkies, you know, you know. Um I, right. I look back on that me, and it's easy for me to sort of look down on that part of who I was. When in reality, that's what I needed at that moment. And it was actually very healthy. But by extension, what I found today is that I tend to be most annoyed at Christians who I used to be like. Yeah. And so my resentment actually becomes pro- projection on people. I don't like people that I used to be like. When in reality, God was graceful to me at that moment, at time. And boy, what if I was graceful to other people at their moment in time and didn't look on, down on them and not look down on myself for what I needed at that moment? Yeah. It, it could go similarly with like, let's say a, a book that was formative for you in your early Christian faith, 
and maybe you're not as enchanted with it now, but you see someone else reading it, you might have an wild at heart or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you yeah, might yeah. instantly say, "Oh, don't read that book." Yes. Yeah. Even though if you look back, gosh, that did play it a me- role yeah. in shaping me to be who I am. Yeah, you know, yeah. it did it did play a role. Um, you know, I'll I'll give an example. I don't know if this hits the nail on the head, but it's just something that come up recently. So, um, AJ, you know that I write sometimes for Christianity Today. <laughs> uh, if you haven't listened to our podcast, we're joking because we got into a little bit of hot water last year uh, with an article we wrote. Um, but uh, I was asked to write a review of Douglas Moo's 700-page Theology of Paul that just came out a couple months ago. Actually, one of my friends said that, you know, Nija, you're a strange choice for this since you have so many natural disagreements with Moo on women in ministry, new perspective on Paul kind of stuff. You know, I'm at a place in life where, you know, my goal isn't to go into book reviews, guns, you know, loaded, ready to blast Mm. people. Mm. It really is to have a conversation, a great conversation, realizing the book's not the end point of the conversation and I'm not the end point of the conversation either. And so I actually wrote uh, what I feel like is a neutral review. I talked about some really wonderful things in the book. And I talk about some things I disagree with. And I just got an email uh, today from a, a colleague of mine uh, at a different institution. He said, you know, I really appreciated that review because I was expecting you to blast him. Hmm. And I was surprised that you actually talk about how much you enjoyed reading the book. Wow. And I'll tell you what, 10 years ago, I may have blasted him because I was in a place in my life where I felt like I needed to prove myself and I, ne- I, I kind of could get a kick out of bringing someone down who I disagree with. Like I would feel some sort of power in that. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like I'm at a place now and I hope it's maturity, we call it what you will, but I, I'm a place now where um, I want to learn from people even who are very different than me. Yeah. And, and Doug, uh, you, you've probably read some of Doug's stuff. He's a really level-headed guy. He's just yeah. an impeccable human being. There's some pretty big things we disagree on, but I want to open up one of his books ready to learn yeah, and not ready to write a negative review. Yeah. Um, and I'm really happy with what, what's come out of that. People yeah. open my review and they're unexpected. They find something unexpected. That kind of makes me proud that, that uh, yep. I didn't do the instinctual thing, which is I'm going to write a really bad review of this book. You know why Pharaoh chases Israel out of... Uh, when when they leave when when they leave Egypt to go to the Promised Land, I've always wondered why why does he chase him? Yeah, why does he chase him? He chases him because the Israelites got all the gold. Yeah, <laughs> and I guarantee you, is he, he Pharaoh just wanted the gold back, so he's yeah. chasing him out. I tend to chase and be most mean to the people who have something that I want. Yeah, and that's a. When I recognize my own proclivities towards projection and 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 going in blood, guns blazing to want to rip people apart, I have to recognize it's probably out of jealousy. Mm-hmm. They have something that I want. Yeah, I don't know. I want to be. I want to be. I want to be so content with Jesus that I have the maturity to receive the gifts of God from God's people and not let it turn into a sourness or meanness. That's a hard thing to do. I feel like in my most uh, stubborn uh, times of my life where I've kind of kind of been like Gollum, 
<laughs> protecting the one ring of true theology that I have. Yes. Um, I feel like in those moments, it actually doesn't come from confidence. It comes from insecurity. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's kind of what you're saying, you know, the gold. Uh, and and when I teach seminary uh, students, the first thing, my first week of class, which we just had, uh, I teach kind of a four-letter acronym about my classroom ethos. Uh, so the, the, the big idea is, uh, good Asians like rice, R-I-C-E. So it stands for respect, integrity, care, and enthusiasm. But I just want to talk about the respect part. Um, you know, I tell my students, you're not in this classroom to defend your theology. You're in this classroom to learn from each other. And I think that lets the guard down. And I feel like, what if we have that posture when we're on social media? What if we have that posture when we're uh, together talking about the Bible, talking about the world? I think that can change the whole dynamics of this theological envy. It doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries either. I mean, guarding um, historic Christian orthodoxy and and the central teachings of scripture and church history. Um, But even having those things in place shouldn't those create more humble people than more insecure people to have the core secure to be able to open up on the peripheral issues? I don't know. To me, me, having having the center secure opens up the borders for the the non-central things. Yeah. Um, Well, we we, uh, could... Hey, I I sometimes am envious of you because... um, Of my beautiful head of... It's it's multifaceted. My envy of you is... (laughs) multifaceted, but I love your brain. And I love more than that. I love that you are modeling Nijay, that it is possible to have a deep, um, a deep brain that is humble and still able to learn. And if you can do that, I want to be, I want to be that. I want to be like you. I'm chasing, I'm like Pharaoh chasing the gold, man. I want to be. You're chasing my brain. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, we'll keep going. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're so glad you were with us wherever you are. And God's grace and peace. God is with you. We'll talk soon.